Hey, it's Brandon. Welcome to Transform Your Workplace. Appreciate the download today. If you haven't subscribed yet, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify, Google Play, any of those places, and you'll get these episodes every Tuesday because we've got a lot of great stuff coming at you. Today's episode is with Barbara Ray. She's an experienced coach and advisor, and she's passionate about helping businesses develop their leaders. I've talked about this a lot on the podcast, but I don't think you could talk about it enough. I think the biggest challenge with with businesses and organizations is when you start moving people from a contributor level, level employee to a manager and they don't have the proper tools and resources and development to thrive in their role. So Barbara and I talk about this. She's done it at several organizations several really fast growing organizations where she's having to move people up and get them the tools and the development needed to to thrive and to keep growing the business and to get the most out of the people and to make them happy and connected to the business. So I, I, I don't think we could talk about this enough. And I had a great conversation with Barbara. I know you'll enjoy it. If you end up loving this podcast. I'd love a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. And if you have time for a written review, I'd appreciate that too. Enjoy the episode and I will see you back here next Tuesday. Barbara, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Appreciate it, Brandon. So in looking at your background and and resume, and obviously in talking with you too, I I wanted to just point out a couple things. So you have a background in capital markets, real estate, but you started out in marketing and then operational roles and people leadership and all that. But there's a couple things I want to read off to the listeners just to show like it makes me feel very (laughs) insignificant. I wish my resume read like this. So Helped raise $750 million in institutional equity, achieved 25% annual profit margin. And I imagine this is that's where you probably optimize the operations side of the business to achieve that. Yeah. Continually outperformed investment returns for the clients. And then this last point was, which is we're gonna hone in on, is you hired more than a hundred people to build the business and the brand. So take me back a little bit. What kind of organization was it? Maybe this is over several firms, or maybe this is one firm. It's one firm. One firm, starting from zero to what you achieved. What was that experience like being on the ground floor? Um, it was really cool. You know, I've worked at different companies in my experience, but this one was really interesting because it was a startup. And so, you know, not everyone gets to come in at the ground level for a startup. And and I did. And so I got to basically, you know, come in before any capital was raised. It was a real estate uh, fund manager company. And it was some people I had worked with previously. And so the idea was, hey, let's go buy a bunch of real estate, manage it and, you know, improve it and get some returns, right? But in order to buy real estate, you need you need the money, right? So we need to go raise some capital to do that. And we decided, let's go raise institutional capital because that's how you really get to scale versus just friends and family. And you kind of do one, two here. But that was the concept and the concept worked. So it was a lot of work kind of figuring out 
how to build out a company and what do you need to grow a company? And obviously people are a huge part of that. Um, what processes do you need? And it was kind of a, a an interesting like puzzle that you got to put together and say, okay, I have a blank page. I have to build out an org chart. If we're going to do this, here's our vision. We want to go raise capital so that we can yeah. buy real estate. We can manage it, improve it, get a return for our investors, get a return for ourselves. What do we need to do that? What people do we need? And then how do we go get them? And how do we structure them so that they're in an environment that doesn't feel like it felt for me, which was a startup? Um, because most people want a little more security than that. They want a 401k. They want you know all the benefits and all those things that like yeah. you're you know kind of a founding starting member of the team. Like those things don't exist, right? You're kind of crafting it. So right. the real goal was build a platform that's going to be interesting for great, talented people to come over. In the beginning, that was really hard because, you know, we didn't have enough cash flow yet. You know, you have to get the money before you can put it to work, before you can make the money. To put people on payroll. So when you start putting people on payroll, like that's a big investment, right? So do you have the sweetest perks? Not yet. So you have to have something else that's a magnet to draw them in. And it has to be really purpose. You have to give them a purpose and kind of sell that they're part of the dream and they're coming along with you. And I think, you know, from that, I learned a lot about what inspires and motivates people. Um, I learned a lot about what makes a good manager and why why a lot of managers fail. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, you learn that the hard way. You put people in positions because they're good at their job and then they end up not being a good manager. And it's like, well, yeah, they never said they were. They just came in to do a great job, but you want to reward them because you don't have a lot of ways to reward them yet, right? And you say, okay, you can now manage people. And you realize like that person actually isn't a people manager. We need to find a new way to reward that person. And frankly, we need to maybe find for the people that, hey, management is going to be an option, they need tools in order to manage people and do that effectively. Because I think a lot of organizations fall into that same trap where you set people up for failure. And failure from the people side means failure for the company. So if they're struggling and failing in their role, all the people that work for them you know, they hate their life too. You know, people leave companies because they don't like their manager. You have a bad manager who has five people reporting to them, you know, then you got five miserable people who don't know where to go to tell you. Yeah. And the manager's probably not that happy either, right? They're wondering, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where to go. What's my resources? So I learned a lot about that. And actually it's, it's become a real passion for me and how to set up people for success. Yeah. I want to explore that further and we'll we'll dive into just the the gaps in, in people leadership. But you said something just about like when you're building out the processes in the org chart. I wanted to ask you about that because I've never been in that situation where you're like starting something from scratch. And so you basically have this blank canvas. Yeah. You're building an org chart. And when you started hiring people and putting people in various functions, did you start with management level people or contributor level people? I imagine like when you're trying to scale up, you're maybe doing both at the same time. But I'm curious, like what what's going through your head at that point to try to get to scale? Yeah, I mean, there was a group of us that were kind of like the leader group. It was interesting because not everyone stayed. There were a lot of people who were like, hey, I like the real estate. Now I'm a manager of people. And they're like, this isn't really what I signed up for. <laughs> like, right. I wanted to be the real estate guy. And they got really far away from the real estate because they, they hired people to do the real estate so they could be more visionary. And then they realized like, I don't even like this job anymore. I wanted to do the job down there. So which was really an interesting 
kind of, I didn't know that was going to happen. Um, but no, it was really a combination of both. I mean, you need people, you need the boots on the ground, the people that are kind of doing the legwork. I mean, basic fundamental accounting or property management. But again, in order to hire those people, you're competing with other big name brands that have, you know, a great benefit package and a bigger name brand to fall on. And so really, why do they come to you? Why do they come to you if you have a kind of small unknown entity, right? Because it's a trust factor. They're trusting you with their career. And that I think is like an eye opener when people are, these aren't just like random resumes you're getting. These are people who are looking to fulfill their destiny. They actually um, are showing up to work as this is part of their career path, which, which may stop right there, right? Maybe that's the only role that they do for the rest of their life, but it could be just the starting point and they could go on to become the CEO of some other company. You know, this could be the starting point. Let's make it a great experience for them. Well, it's interesting that you you'd mentioned uh, to me, and and I brought it up early on. You started in marketing, like that was <laughs> that's kind of your background, right? And so that yeah. actually comes in really handy when you're trying to explain what the purpose of the organization is. And when people are really taking a leap of faith on their career to come join this like unknown startup that's going to scale at some point, but it's in growth mode, and I mean they are taking a leap of faith, but that's probably where your like employer branding, yeah. building a, a people brand really probably came into play, didn't it? I mean, recruiting humans is a marketing job. Totally is. And I really believe human resources is really marketing. And if, if you have an organization where human resources and marketing aren't very well connected, something's wrong. Because ultimately, marketing can be such a great tool for human resources. And I'll give you an example of something that just happened right before this podcast. I got a really weird voicemail. And I was like, what is, I can't understand what it's saying. It was like someone who didn't speak English well. They were very, very quiet. And I I can't understand what they're saying. You think it was a spam call or? I thought it was a spam call, but then they texted me. Oh, and said, hi, this is so-and-so from this company. And I'm like, oh, that would they left a really weird voicemail. Well, they're recruiting for this company. It's a company I know well. And I thought, what a bad representation of that company. This person left me a 41-second voicemail that was whispering and ununderstandable. And then texted me and said, like, they're recruiting for this company. I just forwarded it to the CEO and said, hey, I don't know who you're using for your recruiting services, but this is off-brand. This is not who you want representing you or how you want to be represented. And they're like, thank you so much. We just found out about this yesterday. We didn't engage this person. But this is why HR and marketing need to go hand in hand. If you have people out there that are reaching out to hundreds of people, whether it's responding to their resumes, cold calling potential candidates, and they don't represent your brand, this brand is really kind of hip and cool and big on marketing. So like this really weird, random whispering message. And even the text was just like, hi, you want a job? I'm like, what? I mean, I would be horrified if that was how my brand was showing up, right? So yeah, recruiting people is a marketing job and you have to really take a look at the messages you're putting out there and will people want to work there beyond just the recruiting? Like when you go to your web page and your landing page, a prospective employee is going to do that and they're going to look, does it look like a cool place? Does that look like a culture that fits in with my style? Is it corporate? Is it kind of fun? What is it? So you have to really define what you're 
trying to be and then make it true, right? That's what, you know, creating a culture is all about. You get to kind of go with that blank slate and say, who do we want to be? I want to be a company that focuses on, you know, developing leaders and, you know, providing education for leaders and development. And I want to have fun while doing it with a lot of like extracurricular events and maybe charity is a big thing. All right. Great. Now you get to do all the marketing around that, but you have to make it true. So the people inside have to make it true or it's just work on a page, right? Right. Um, and there's got to be a champion that helps make it true. And that's where I really think, you know, human resources and marketing come together um, pretty, pretty significantly to make that a reality. A couple of minutes ago, you said something that just reminded me of like what I think is one of the biggest flaws in, in leadership is that contributor level, like you move into this now people leadership role. And sometimes like people just take the new role because there's probably more money involved or more responsibility, but they didn't want to be a leader. They didn't agree to it. And years ago, uh, myself and several leaders in my organization read this book called The Leadership Contract. And that's really what it was all about. It was about saying like, when you're about to step into a role, like say I'm an individual contributor and, you, and I move into a leadership role, really there's got to be a gap of time where I'm really exploring if that's the right fit. And if I am buying into this new role as a leader, because it it's a totally different level of responsibility. There's skills and competencies that I need to acquire before I can become a decent leader. Yeah. Of course, experience will need to come hand in hand with that. But I just thought that was a good book and a good thought because often we're just promoting people willy-nilly because they are good at their jobs. And now they're all of a sudden leading a bunch of people and they have no skills. Yeah. What's your experience with that? You know, I always say it's a privilege to lead and manage people. And I think it should be treated that way because when you really think about it, you're going to make a big influence on that person's life, probably more than the even the overarching company. So if you're going to be a new leader, I think it's important. One, does the company offer leadership training and tools? If they don't, and you want to be a leader, you better get out there and go figure it out yourself and educate yourself, whether it's reading books, reading articles, connecting on LinkedIn, go meeting with people. Maybe it's a virtual today because of it's Zoom, but I've seen a stat where like 60% of new managers fail. And they fail because they don't have the right resources, or maybe they don't have the skills or ability. But I think for the most part, they just don't have a lot of the resources. So for companies, I'd say a big mistake is not investing in resources to develop your leaders and managers. And if you don't make that investment, you get turnover. And turnover is very expensive. By the time the turnover really starts, it's too late because the disease has already infected a lot of the organization because of bad leaders. Uh, and you can see it in a lot of places. You know, I had a, a department that had over 100% turnover in a year. What's wrong there? I mean, you start to look and go, okay, well, it's the leader. Ooh. I mean, it's not like it was a department of two, right? So it's yeah. like 20 people, 100% turnover, some jobs even more than one time. And so what's going on there? You have a leader that either needs some coaching and training or they're in the wrong seat. Being good at your job does not mean that you're a good leader or manager. And I think it's probably one of those things that companies need to focus on. And as you look at creating goals and KPIs for your team and your leaders, 
one of them needs to be focused on education and getting to that next level. And, you know, for your listeners of the podcast, for the HR people that are listening, I think it's really important that you structure your KPIs for new managers and include learning and professional development. Go figure out, you know, the softer side, EQ training, I think is really important because, you know, managing people, it's not about the skill in the job. It's about relating to people and understanding. And you start going, oh my gosh, I'm getting texts about people like, you know, their dog's foot is hurt and they can't come to work today. And just like a lot of things that have nothing to do with the job and learning how to be, you know, a leader that says, okay, I'm going to be a human first and care about them and their dog or whatever their thing is. But then we get to work, right? And being respectful and clear and setting those boundaries. And it's it's hard to do when you're a new leader, especially, and I, I saw this a lot at my last firm, when you are promoted, you know, you're a worker and you get promoted and your friends are still there and now you're their manager. And, you know, I had someone who really struggled figuring that role out because they still wanted to be cool. You know, they wanted to go on like a walk with them at lunch and bitch about whatever. And like, you don't get to do that at a manager level. So making sure new managers have the training and understand like, hey, you got to elevate yourself for others to take you seriously. And if you want to be respected, that's earned. And it's earned by leading by example. And I think it's really hard to do that unless you get a little coaching and, and a lot of feedback. And I'd say asking for feedback is is really critical always in your career, but especially as you're younger, because it'll help develop you into being something different, something better, and being able to grow. Because sometimes the feedback you get, if you're open to it, is really productive. And it's kind of like, oh, wow, I didn't even see myself doing that. Wow, that's probably why I'm struggling with that person. Maybe I'm a little harsh. Whatever it is, you get to work on that. You said you're when you're talking about the contributor level skills and then the people leadership skills and how vastly different they are. Like I was just thinking about like the work that you did in the real estate firm where you probably got people like buying and selling real estate, probably know a lot about financial markets and yeah. and that kind of stuff. And they're doing that at the contributor level. And then all of a sudden now they're having to be empathetic and compassionate and, you know, dealing with the the issues that you just described with like, oh, my dog's sick and now I need to take it to the vet and now I can't come to work. And now you have to, as a manager, you have to kind of walk through that. Those are very different. They're different roles. roles. So like there's a huge gap in skills. Like you're going back in time to where you were. If you could arm yourself with any resources to help managers, and maybe you did this, but in hindsight, it's it's always easier to to look back and say, oh, I wish I had this, this, and this. What would you give managers who are doing very different functions compared to leading people? And I don't have the skills to do that. What would you give them? You know, we started a, um, a program where we had a consultant come in and do some training and it was really productive. It was really healthy. Um, I would say I would have done that sooner and I would have done it while the training wheels were still on because, you know, it's expensive to invest in those kind of things. But when the training wheels are still on and you've got someone who has a skill set but is about to grow a team. Wow. That's the time, you know, get them before they're actually building and growing the team. So they understand even what kind of team they should be looking for. Who are the people that are going to work well on their team, which might be different than if they already exist there. Right. And then you're trying to adapt because you can kind of say, okay, look, this is the culture of the company. This is the culture of me and my style. And what are the kind of people I'm going to look for that fill in? Because there's a lot of people with the right skill sets 
but there's probably a lot less that actually fit into the company culture and fit into that manager's leadership style that they can actually work together in a way that's productive, give, receive feedback in a way that's going to be a healthy relationship rather than some type of contentious relationship. And I'd say, you know, getting an understanding where these new leaders get an understanding of who they are as a manager, what's going to kind of bug them. And that's okay because there are things that there, everyone has a trigger. Like there's a lot of people that, you know, they need a lot of quiet. And if someone comes and interrupts them, they'll snap, right? And they'll, they'll snap at them. And that's okay. Maybe that person needs a little more a cone of silence. There needs to be some rules on engagement and say like a sign on the door or an area they can go to that's quiet. You know, let it be okay. They are unique. Everyone's a little unique and they're quirky and we all have triggers. So find out what they are, be honest about what they are, and let's kind of create an environment where those people can work. And that also means what kind of people do they work best with? And let's start sourcing that when we hire. Let's start looking at those skills, not just the resume and what it says on paper. She did this. She has this skill. She's got this degree. Like, fine. There's probably a lot of candidates with those things. Let's get into the behavioral of how do we work together and what is that going to look and feel like? And I think, you know, if I look back, I think that would have been really helpful much earlier on in the growth of the company rather than later and trying to kind of put a Band-Aid on things. And so there's lessons there. And frankly, it's what I do now. I go and help some of these companies that are going through these same struggles and giving them my war stories and lessons learned from that because I think a lot of it has to do, while I understand the real estate and the business, I think so much of it, it has to do with the structure of the organization, the people and the leaders that they have. It's a big component of them getting new talent. So as I work with groups that are looking to grow talent, I hear them as they interview and I give them feedback and things like, um, wow, I wish I, I heard them interview in advance and I could have given them coaching beforehand. Because when you think about a new manager, they don't even know how to interview a prospective employee. And I don't mean that critically, but they don't know legally. There's questions you can't ask, right? How old are you? What's, yeah. How old are you? <laughs> uh, are you married? Do you have children? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> so for the HR people, you know, listening, it's like cringeworthy. Some of the questions sometimes people ask because they don't know you can't and it can get your company in trouble. So I think, you know, there's some training that should certainly be done on kind of like, what are the rules and legalities? Fine. But also on how do you find your match? How do you find that personality? And I think more training should be done on that so that you're not interviewing just for skills. You're interviewing for fit, fit in the organization, fit on that team, fit to um, the manager style. There's a lot of people that can do a job. So, but finding the right person makes a really big difference in building your company culture. I think people are really nuanced and that's what's really hard about people leadership is people are, they're emotional human beings. They're sometimes irrational. They're unpredictable. Really being a good leader is sometimes and a lot of times about on the job experience and experiential learning. If you don't have those opportunities to go through those challenging situations and develop as a leader, how do you replace the experiential learning, especially as you're ramping up as a new manager and you don't have any of those experiences? Is it 
coaching and mentorship? Is, is there formal education that can walk you through weird scenarios that you just wouldn't experience otherwise? Like, Give the listeners some insight on this. Yeah. I mean, actually, I find role-playing to be really great. So it's something we did a lot in my last firm where it would be like, okay, you're going to go meet with this employee. You have to deliver some tough news. How's that going to go? No, I'm the employee. <laughs> you go. <laughs> and then we play it out, you know, and I can, based on my experience, can be that, you know, contentious person or, and then you find, oh, I don't know how to deal with that. Okay, well, let's figure out a way that this can be productive rather than argumentative. And so I think role-playing is really great. Uh, bringing in a coach to help you with something like that is is really a good thing. But, you know, look, part of it is not putting the person who is in the seat who shouldn't be there. I mean, I think, you know, if you're emotionally not ready or you haven't had the time and the skills, don't do it. And there's so many reasons. I mean, having the right people in the right seats and building a culture that has employee engagement leads to profitability. So there's just a ton of studies on it that you're, you know, the more engaged your employees are, the the more profitable your company is because they actually feel like they're striving towards some bigger purpose. So don't put the people in the wrong seat to begin with, because it's going to really impact your culture and how you feel about work, but also the business side of things, right? So it all connects. And I think it's really important to, to make that connection. I think it's important for CEOs and leaders to make the business connection to the human resource side, because there is definitely a, a big financial side. And it's, it's hard to measure. There's a lot of stats on you know, turnover and retention and what that actually financially means. And at the end of the day, whatever it actually means, whether it's, you know, two times that person's salary or whatever, it's expensive. I mean, just that's it. So if you have someone turning over constantly in a seat or leaders that have people turning over, it's expensive. It means that there's no tribal knowledge on your team that people have been there. I worked with a group. I was asking for a few things that I think would be helpful. Let's take a look at how you currently do this. We can beef it up. And they're like, no, we, we don't even have that. And I was like, wow, that's not great, right? We need to get that. And like a month later, someone's like, hey, I found this on the shared drive. We do have it. I'm like, well, you have it, but you've never used it, right? So, which is great. It saved them some time and hours, but you know, having documents that you don't use in real life and in practice, it's expensive. So someone who worked there spent hours and hours and hours crafting that, but they left. And when they left, no one even knew this document existed and it hadn't become part of the processes and procedures in the company. So when you look at the cost of turnover, okay, I got to go now recruit for someone. Maybe I have to pay a recruiter. This person has to get up to speed um, and then now they're up to speed. But you lose the knowledge of the last people too. If, if they're leaving on not great terms, and I'm not saying they're barging out the door and like, you know, giving you the bird, but just, you know, just well enough that they're not like, I want you to be the most successful person. And here's a package of all the things that will make the next person in the role successful. If it's anything less than that, you're losing a lot of tribal knowledge that this person may have done. And you've paid for that. You've paid for that work and you don't ever, you don't get it back. And I think there's just, you know, making that connection that there is a lot of lost money if people are not being retained and retention is based on great leadership. It's based on culture and the feeling of, you know, you've got contributions that are are valued. It's all connected. You know, one of the things that's like really apparent to me is like, you're so business savvy. And 
I want to like pick your brain on what are like the key lagging indicators that our people leaders are really successful. Let's say I'm in HR because there's a lot of HR listeners here. And, and if they're in charge of like developing a whole layer of managers and we want to know like, okay, are we retaining people? Are we like, basically, do we have a good middle management structure and are they doing good? What are some of those metrics that you would probably look to for whether or not we're successful? You know, I think there's a lot of like personality profiles out there and like the disc is one of them, but there's so many different ones out there. I think taking some of those assessments and kind of seeing what your strengths are for those, because, you know, you look at leaders and I think on the disc profile, the D's and I's are typically better leaders because the, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. What are you? <laughs> I'm a high C and then F. Okay. So... I'm saying typically though, because they're they're more um, talkative. Both of those are more kind of talkative. So it allows them to be more interactive. But that doesn't mean the S's and C's aren't, which is exactly why doing these kind of personality profiles is important because you actually have to find out, okay, how does an S lead or a C lead? It's not just, I think it's, it is important that it's not that simple. I'm, I'm an I and, you know, I walk down the hall and talk to people. And so, you know, you might go, oh, well, she's like really involved and engaged. Well, so are the S's and the C's. They just do it differently, right? So it's more obvious when you're maybe an I or a D because you're just louder, um, but that's not all it takes. And I think it's important to, for HR leaders to look at, do some type of assessment, see what that person's strengths are and how do you play those things up? Because if you have folks that are really great at their job and they want to lead, and you'll know this because they express an interest and they are learners, they're lifelong learners, they're focused on constant and never ending improvement. If they have that as a philosophy, they'll be a great leader but they'll probably need some coaching, but you got to play up their strengths and their style. So I think, um, I think it's important to just say like, there's not a one size fits all. If you're an HR leader, don't just pay attention to the, the person who is social walking down the hall. Hey, um, that might seem obvious, but every single, you know, different personality type actually has some great leadership skills. You just need to find out what the best way for them to lead is and give them some coaching on that and really encourage them to be learners. I think learning is critical and having a culture and a company that focuses on learning is is really great, but it also has to come innately from the people. So I would say, look, if you know if you're not an HR person listening to this podcast, but you're a, a potential leader, it's on you. Don't expect the company to provide those resources. It's great when they do, and you should seek out companies that do. But if you're in a situation where the company doesn't have those type of resources, you're not a victim. You have a ton of free resources at your fingertips. The library has a free app. There's tons of resources online that are absolutely free. There's podcasts like this that you can download, subscribe, feed your brain with uh, right here, right? So this is a great one you can subscribe to. So I think it's important that your company isn't providing you with the resources and the training, the personal development. You also need to take some responsibility yourself and go and develop yourself. You don't have to go get an MBA and spend $100,000 on a fancy education. If you want to, 
that's great. But there are so many other ways to learn and develop yourself. And if you do want to spend a little money, there's master classes and things that you can do that are really niche and focused on something that you want to learn more about. And the more you're learning, the more you can contribute into your organization, the more your managers and leaders in the company see you as someone who is serious about their role. And I think that's really important. So beyond what the company provides, I think it's important that you know, if you want to be in a leadership role, you take the initiative to to go find ways to grow. It's interesting because the last question I wanted to ask you was, okay, if you're starting a company from the ground up, like what's the playbook for developing your leaders? Because I feel like you know all the tools and resources, but what you're just saying about like the assessments and and people have different tendencies as leaders, whether introverted or extroverted, it really seems like there's no playbook. It's like a customized approach that actually works because everybody has different competencies that they need to develop. And it's like, there's no one size fits all approach. Am I right in assuming that? Or like, what's your take on that? Yeah. And I think you just got to be honest about your skill sets. You know, there was a lot of things I was doing that I was over my skis on um, in the beginning and I was willing to learn. And so that was okay. And it was okay to fail because the fail was not, you know, I'm not, I'm not curing cancer. Uh, So, you know, the, the failure is you learn and that's actually a win, right? So I think it's just working with your team and finding out what they're good at. Like if I had a peer who wasn't great at leading people, but was so good at the real estate side, you know what? If when you're small, you pinch it and go, I'm going to go meet with that person on your team. I'm going to take them to lunch. I want to talk about their career aspirations. I want to, and like, I would do that. I would step in. And I think good teams do that. They actually kind of not like, they're not, not staying in their lane. It's just caring enough about the greater good that you actually kind of go out of your lane to say, I'm going to help you. And then, and giving that person room to grow in that area by showing them how it's done, showing them how like leadership and caring is done. Like I took your team member to lunch. I asked them about their goals and dreams in life. When was the last time you did that? Think about it. Like that's probably, even if you're buried in work, it's probably a good use of your time. Just asking someone that makes them feel like, you know, a a little bit of loyalty to you that you actually care about where they're going and where they're headed and and want to help them get there. And when it's authentic, you can feel that. You can absolutely feel that someone really cares. It's not, they're not checking the box and asking the question like, hey, I got 15 minutes. What's your goal? What's your favorite pet's name? Like, that's not going to do it. If it's authentic, you feel it. It's this person actually cares. Last question before you go. What's your favorite management book of all time? Ooh. Something that maybe was core to your development as a manager. So I liked all of like the Malcolm Gladwell books. I remember when I was really starting leading people. What was it? The Oh, come on. The tipping point or... Tipping point. Yeah, the tipping point. I remember when I read the tipping point, I was new to management. That was really interesting. I was a connector in that, which is kind of like saying you're an I. But I really liked the idea, that whole like, you know, one spark creates this whole, these ripple effects and these bigger things in life. And yeah, I I read that right when I was becoming new to management. And I I remember that just was one that really had an impact on me. And I got to tell you, I'm a huge consumer of leadership books. So I've read 
so many. And I think it's great to continue feeding your brain and learning like that. And, you know, now I read less. I don't do as much actual reading of books. I do a lot more of podcasts because there's so many great leadership type podcasts or even just, you know, subject matter podcasts that are really interesting if I want to learn and grow on something. And books, books, audio books are a great tool. If you're busy, you can you know, listen on your commute or when you're going for a hike. I've got two young kids. I don't have as much time to sit down and read like I used to. And now a lot of my books are audiobooks. So I just encourage everyone keep just feeding the brain. There's so many great reads out there. But yeah, Tipping Point was definitely one that was early in my career that I I found really meaningful. I also did like the four hour work week kind of like resonated with me and I've completely failed on that. That never, (laughs) uh, that never worked for me. So uh, I should reread it. (laughs) It's funny, the four hour work week, one of the things that Timothy Ferris had said in the book was like, you know, hey, don't let email manage you. You're like, I'm going to respond to emails on Mondays and Fridays at noon. Like, that's it. I just don't think life works like that. So that's cool. But I would personally miss out on a ton of opportunities if I didn't check my emails on a regular basis. So, I mean, I liked the concept of it, but I don't see that being something I could really put to work. Um, I like being connected. So I don't know, that's almost like doesn't really work for me. But I did like the whole, a lot of strategies to get out of your comfort zone, which as a young leader, I thought was really good to hear. Like one of them was like laying down in the middle of like a shopping mall. Just (laughs) it's a really weird thing to do. And it's uncomfortable. And the whole idea is like, just do things that are uncomfortable every once in a while. So Anyway, I've read a ton. I would encourage everyone, you know, between podcasts and audiobooks, there's so many free ways to get great content. Yeah. I think what's interesting just about that advice, because I totally agree with you, once you start consuming a lot of different opinions, ideas, playbooks, theories, whatever, you quickly realize that the term best practice is total bullshit. It's like, (laughs) there's no like one size fits all best practice. Like there's no perfect answer for anything. And when you start consuming ideas and strategies from other people, like you'll quickly figure out what works uh, for you and the people that you work with. And that's, to me, is a better approach. It's flexible. It's versus if you try to just take one strategy and just lay it over the top of a very nuanced organization that's unique. I just don't see that working. So I I love your advice. Yeah, you got to create an arsenal. You got to create an arsenal and it's things that you can pull out as, you know, the knowledge is your arsenal and you pull out the tools that you've learned as appropriate in your career and where you're trying trying to go. But it is definitely not one size fits all. Everyone's different, which is probably the most fun thing about HR. (laughs) Barbara, this has been so fun. I've enjoyed our conversation. Where can people learn about you and what you're up to? I'm obviously over here in Oregon and you're in sunny California. So like, what what are you up to down there? Like, where do you want to point people to? Great. Thank you so much. Um, So yeah, I'm in Southern California, Newport Beach. um, Great place to live. You can find me on LinkedIn, Barbara Ray. My last name is R-E-A. And my website is Ray and advisory group, R-E-A advisory group.com. And you can contact me through either channel. I'm really focused on, you know, helping develop leaders, helping companies develop their leaders, their tools, their processes, so that they can really become 
you know, more efficient and more profitable. So that's my key focus. And if anyone uh, would like to reach out, I love connecting with people on LinkedIn and, and wherever. So I'm happy to do phone calls with anyone. So thank you. And I appreciate the opportunity to be on the podcast. I am an avid listener. Uh, I love all things human resources because I really believe every business is all about the people. So thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Barbara. 